Amen. Yeah, I'm going to give you this so I don't screw this up. I'm going to ask Anderson to come join me. She's we're honored that she's going to read our scripture. Come on, Anderson. Don't be don't be shy. I mean, look at me. I'm fixed to speaking for all these people, so which is kind of scary for them. <laughs> so I want to tell you a little bit about Anderson. Now, I'm going to have to admit, when I read this, I got really excited. She is the daughter of Jared and Aaron Stokes. She is going into the second grade at Washtenaw Christian. She loves to create art, play with her friends, and recently was awarded the most Christ-like in her class. So you're going to read our scripture today, so I'm going to let you do your thing. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Thank you. So you can give that to you then. All right, thank you. Oh, that warms the soul. Welcome. I'm trying to, they've given me instructions about timing this this is the conservative crowd right that's why you have such comfortable seats people say why are you going in there for jesus man i'm going in there for that comfy seat and then we have the raucous crowd right next door and we're actually doing this simultaneously and i think we're all together am i right well i was talking to them you couldn't this is like having a conversation with my dad about online. Because when I was a kid, when you had something online, that was a fish. He never got past that. This is, this is going to be a tough crowd, huh? So, uh, I would like to say there's a reason Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children. You know, when you see... Such a sweetheart, read that scripture. While we're sinners, God demonstrates his own love for us. Because we're looking at her and we're like, you're safe. You're innocent. I think about that verse in Romans 16. I think it's verse 9. It just popped into my head that we teach our kids to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And there's just something awesome about that. There's a reason we don't do most Christ-like awards when we become adults. Not sure why, but I think it's probably the baggage that we have, and we just feel like, ugh, it gets icky. So anyway, if you're just joining us, I was making sure they were there, so I was kind of rambling. I'm Jace. I struggle with flying in airplanes and public speaking. I'm Jace. Okay. I know that was bizarre for you, but I really, that has been the two biggest fears that I've had to overcome. So on my last trip, which was recently, because we're, we're going a lot. We're mid-flight. I got earphones on. 
because I told you I struggle with flying on planes. So I'm listening to Christian music loudly. <laughs> and I feel a tap on my head, which was odd. And I knew it wasn't a stewardess because it came from behind me. And I turned around, but I got this music blaring. And all I hear is what I thought this young woman said was, I'm pumpkin. <laughs> now, that means nothing to y'all, but I knew my mom had a friend named Pumpkin. And so I thought, oh, I thought you looked familiar. Well, the girl beside this girl said, she said it's bumpy. And I was thinking, it's bumpy? And then when I looked back at the, it's bumpy, I could tell she was, she was scared. So, I probably should have said something better than what I said next, because I said, this is not bumpy. I've been on a plump side down 20 yards from landing and aborted the landing. I've been on two emergency landings in planes. And she went, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and when she cried out and brought up Jesus, I realized that evidently she knew I was a believer and she was reaching out for comfort. And so I said, well, she asked me, well, why are you here? I said, well, my biggest fears are public speaking and flying on airplanes. And she said, why are you here? I said, because I believe God is real. I'm sharing Jesus with people. I believe that's what God does. He uses us despite our flaws and fears. And I figure the worst thing that can happen to me is we crash and die. Oh, Jesus! I said, and then I'm right back to flying. In the twinkling of an eye. So I'm not stressed out anymore. We've overcome it. God takes your weaknesses and He turns them into His strength. So I have good news. I have good news. There is a God and He is alive. The bad news is, some people just don't believe that. The angry is, this is the good, the bad, and the angry. Maybe not. The angry says, well, you could have fooled me. Why is there so much filth, pain, suffering, death, injustice, anger? Brutality, fear, greed. I could go on and on and on in our world. There was a New York Times article. Take it for what it's worth. That came out a couple of years ago. It's called Googling God. And the article I read was an article about the article. But they looked at 
the three top Googles concerning the subject of God. Here's the top three. Number one, who created God? That was the number one. And I said two or three years. I think this was four years ago. But I'm I'm pretty confident that this is reasonable in our world because of what's going on. And obviously, you see that in that Google search, people are looking for answers or excuses to life's miseries. Number two, if there is a God, why is there so much suffering? And number three, Google searches, why does God hate me? And obviously, these are people with pain, feel ugly, feel like they've been dealt a tough hand. And we're familiar with physical difficulties. And to be honest, life is tough. But when I read that, my first response is, we who believe that God is gracious and loving and real and for us and omnipotent, as we sing about, I was completely confused during that song, but I got one phrase. He's wonderful. We got work to do. If that's what people are looking for, if that's what they're if that's what they're searching for, I think they've got the wrong idea about who God is. Now we're in the book of Romans, and no wonder six times in the first eighteen verses did Paul say, I have good news. And he's writing to people who have the Spirit of God in them, but who are living in an empire who provides peace by desolating through death, pain, and suffering cities, communities, and households. And he says, I got good news. Paul said, I was set apart for the gospel, the good news. This is verse 1 and 2. We've gone through this. The gospel that he promised beforehand. Verse 5. We've received grace. God's mercy and forgiveness at Christ's expense. Verse 7. Grace and peace to you from our God, our Father. In verse 16. I've got good news. And I'm not ashamed about it. Why is it good? Because it's the power of God. For everybody. Salvation for everyone. For in the gospel of righteousness from God is revealed. And then we get to verse 18. All the way to 320. Chapter 3 and verse 20. That comes in with the angry that says, well, you could have fooled me. This seems kind of depressing. Because at first glance, when you read chapter 1 and verse 18 and see that the wrath of God is being revealed, when you see verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sex that's not right, you're like, wait a minute, why don't he stop this? When you read in verse 26 that it says God gave them over even to do what is shameful. 
you get the impression that he's not doing anything about it. It took me years to figure out that. It made me uncomfortable reading that. I thought, why, 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 why is he allowing us to wallow in our own appetites to the point of misery and pain and suffering where even other people suffer from our sin? It's not just our sin that causes suffering. Other people's. And we know we're already in a, in a world where there's spiritual forces of evil. There's a real evil one out to do us in. And I'm so simple-minded that I have to go find some red letters for clarity. And I think back to Luke 15 when Jesus, who was being accused of being icky because he's hanging out with the riffraff and the tax collectors, and he tells three stories on why he's doing that. Y'all remember the first one? You lose the sheep, we're going to find them. You got 99, I mean, it's just 1%. Then it goes to the woman losing the coin, 10%. And then you have the two sons, which I guess would technically be 100%. One to self-indulgence, one to self-righteousness. But you remember right at the beginning of that prodigal son, the son said, give me what's owed to me. I mean, if that's your business plan, give me all the stuff you were going to give me when you die now. But you know what the father did? He let him go. So that's when I read that in Romans 1. I thought, yep, let us go. Why would God do that? Because at some point, and when we get to Romans 5, we see that. You can't recognize God's grace until you realize that you're a sinner and He's not. That you're powerless. That you're ungodly. And that actually you're an enemy. Of the cross. That's what Romans 5 says. What's incredible is that most people make a big deal about this list of sins in Romans 1, 18 and following. But when he gets to chapter 2 and 3, he basically says it don't matter what you've done or what time frame you were born in, whether it was before the law, after the law, after Jesus, before Jesus, there's no excuse. And you say, well, this is sounding kind of depressing. Without God, it is depressing. But you get to Romans 5 and verse 20 and 21, and a statement is made that we as followers of Jesus have a hard time wrapping our head around. But basically, you can't out God's grace. It's bigger. God's grace is bigger. The character and how we fall from recognizing who God is produces a lot of sin. But when you look back, at that brother 
that son who wound up in a maggot-infested pig pen because he wanted to be on his own. The only phrase in there about him doing anything, and boy, it sure took a while, didn't it? There's a phrase that says, when he came to his senses. When he came to his senses. Where was God during all this? Where was the Father? Being loyal, being faithful. Romans 3 says that your faithlessness does not nullify God's faithfulness. You know why the righteousness is being revealed from God? Because he's been faithful all along. Because you would get the impression from Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood that God is just high. But he didn't. Here we are. And then you get to chapter 4 of Romans. And he brings up an example of Abraham. You're talking about an injustice. I mean, first he tells Abraham, leave everything you know. Leave your past and go to somewhere you've never been before. That's kind of what we do with heaven in mind, right? Hebrews 11 says that. That's what we're doing. God says, you're not of this place. We're just visiting. And then he says, through your offspring, all nations will be, in bl- will be blessed. And we came along through that. So you see, I remember that story. And then he says, now go kill your only son. Where all the people are going to come from that we're going to bless. And you remember what Hebrews 11 said about that? It said Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. He trusted in the promise. I bring that up to say, when people hear that, they're uncomfortable. How could you have a greater injustice than to do harm to your kid? Real harm. People do it every day in the world. They're doing it now. There's a phrase in chapter 11 in the light of this Abraham reference. That was a life-changing moment for me. Because look, I used to go around and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm actually part of a podcast that runs four times a week that says unashamed. But the reason that's reaching people is because of Hebrews 11:16. It says that God, in view of what happened through Abraham, therefore God is not ashamed To be called their God. His grace is bigger. His faithfulness is true. It's very difficult to wrap your head around that. That we have to fall so far that we finally look up and say, I'm done! And he says, I've been here all along. So you see that in chapter 4 and 16, there's a, there's a statement made in, about Abraham. 
it says, therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be grace and may be guaranteed. I have good news. The death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, God in human form, is grace and a guarantee. Chapter 4 and verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So we come to chapter 5. Therefore, we have access. We have peace. And we stand in His grace. You talking about some good news. Therefore, we have been justified through faith. 5-1. We have peace with God. Oh, man. Peace with the Creator. Eternal, holy, perfect, all-knowing, all-powerful. The God who makes the impossible possible. Whose character is full of grace and love. He doesn't make mistakes and all wrongs will be righted. Now you just got to make up your mind whether you're going to come to your senses and believe that or not. You know, when I thought about this, having access to God, I've done Google searches before about places you can't go. Because, you know, some of the best places to duck hunt on the earth, they won't let you go. They call them sanctuaries. They will put you in jail. They don't care who you are. And I've done it by accident. I was in Arkansas swamps. I'm like, look at all these. I found the ducks. <laughs> well, whoever was putting the paint on the trees skipped about a hundred yards. I didn't know. Boom, bow, boom, bow, boom. I got out and said, boy, that was easy. I was telling my buddy, he said, now, where were you? I was like, well, I went down there and made two bends and took a right. He's like, you took a right? Oh, boy, let's get out of here. I believe the statute of limitations has run out. <laughs> you know, I found a Brazilian island that during a surge, a hurricane... Tens of thousands of snakes were stranded on this island. And they won't let humans go there. And I thought, well, that's good. They're looking out. They're looking out for us. No, no. They won't let humans go there because the snakes are protected. And I thought, well, that's dumb. <laughs> There's an island of snakes that's restricted. And we're protecting the snakes. It goes back to Romans 1. When you worship and serve created things rather than the creator. When you get out of order God, people, and animals. Chaos ensues. But here we have access to the creator of the universe. You can keep your snake island. 
There's places you can't go. There's people you can't meet. I'm pretty sure I don't even think we could go see the Pope. I'd be like, I want to go see the Pope. They're like, no. The president, other people. There's problems you can't solve. And unfortunately, there's pain you have to endure because he's given us access. He's given us peace with him. We're standing in his grace. We're rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And you say, what's the problem? But we still have to rejoice in our sufferings. Still bad things are going to happen. This place is mean. Evil. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not shame us. Now listen to this. Because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. I have good news. Where is God, you ask? He's right here. He's not in this building. He doesn't live in buildings. He's in us. That's why we're here. That's why we're having to put up with all this junk. That's why we've got to put up with the junk in our own lives. And the evil one keeps bringing it up and he keeps bringing it up. And you say, what is my response? God is bigger. He's bigger than my sin. It really doesn't take a whole lot of figuring out what you need to do in your life. Based on where we're at in Romans 5. You need to come to your senses. I could go through each specific sin and look, we know. What led to the pig pen? Drunkenness and sexual immorality and dope and lies. But not recognizing it, not coming to your senses when you're literally eating slop with the pigs. We have to go that low to realize that you can't do this. So the four ways to come to your senses, they're here, I'm going to read them. Verse 6, you see at just the right time when you were, what? Powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, through a, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners... Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Anderson is safe. And we're all saved by the grace of God. And this grace was promised before Time began, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. 
Did y'all get that? The reason that's important is because it shows you that God is faithful. You say, yeah, but look at all the things that's happened. He was mad. Look at the flood. All the things that happened. He is faithful and you're still here. Today. Verse 10 of chapter 5. For if we were God's enemies, if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, brought. We were brought to him through Jesus, the bridge. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here's the last thing I'm going to read. No, I'm going to shut up. Because people say, wait just a doggone minute. Now, I'm a sinner. I may be ungodly. I may be powerless. But I hadn't been an enemy. So I'm going to read you Philippians 3 and verse 18, because fortunately for, for us, Paul in his letter to Philippians described four qualities that make the enemy of, a cro- of the cross of Jesus. Philippians 3 and verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. So I want to stop here because you've got to ask yourself something. Who are you representing out there? Are you an enemy? Or have you come to your senses? Have you realized... Colossians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith. Because He loves me. And He gave Himself up for me. Verse 19 describes the enemies. Their destiny is destruction. You wake up every day and do things that are going to lead to destruction. Are your searches on the internet things that lead to destruction? Their God is their stomach. Their own appetites. If the biggest thing you wake up and think about every day is what you're going to eat. I like to eat now. And how you can be satisfied. He says that's the enemy of the cross. Their glory is in their shame. Are you doing shameful things and thinking, yeah, yeah. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Whose side you on? That's what it comes down to. I have good news. Life is bumpy. Bumpier. 
for some than others. But it's a reminder that we're sinful, that we're powerless, that we're ungodly, and yes, we're even enemies in our minds because of our behavior. But while we're in that state, God is faithful. He loves us. And this grace is so awesome that the question came up, well, why shouldn't we just sin then if grace is going to increase? If I can't out God's grace, well, let's go. Let's get after it. And that's when he gets into Romans 6. And the good news is you can die with Christ. Come into your senses on your knees saying, I can't do this. This is all you. You can bury that old man. God's Spirit, we just read it, will come inside of you, which will make you the most powerful being on this planet. A planet that needs us. They need the Spirit of God. They're Google searching the wrong questions. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. We're going to give you an opportunity to come to your senses today and respond. So if you need to, come and we'll sing this song. Make your way down.